time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Hey guys, how's it going? GB, how are you? Good to see you. Yeah. Doctor? I am pleased as punch because Big J here came over to my house and helped hook up my home theater system. You mean Big J, a.k.a. the conductor. That's right, the conductor. And stereo repair, man. Yeah. That's true. That's pretty Oh, really? Oh, you should have seen him. The doc is is now fully... Even the concierge people at Costco, which... Might not necessarily, it might be a bit of an oxymoron. Um, <laughs> they tried, they tried, but nope, producer Jay was the one who came through, yeah, really. And did he come with you to Costco to show? No, 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 no. Well, there was a lot of consultation there as that's well, that's true. But, um, we that's true, he is up and running, and and he can now watch, um, you know, every episode of Cheer on Netflix in, in full stereo, that's right, surround, surround sound. sound. Whatever it is that you guys now, watch. My son watching, so, he's playing Xbox with gunfire behind him is the uh, best. What exactly? We, we didn't hook that back up. Did no, you? I did. Okay. I did. I hooked it back What exactly did you buy? You know, a TV? TV. I, you know, I had a stuff. A surround sound system? I had stuff already, but honestly, it's like little by little over the last 10 years, it all stopped working gradually. You know, it's like the sound went out because somebody moved something and then the <laughs> wires came out and then I tried to put it back in and it didn't work and then... I realized that the receiver was old and, you know, there's all kinds of, and I just basically abandoned the whole room. And then what do you do? You donate it or you I mean all the old recycling? Equipment? Yeah. I haven't decided it's sitting in the hallway and my wife has been yelling at me about it as producer Jay witnessed today. <laughs> the gramophone oh. is going to stay. But. Oh, okay. And how do you know so much about this stuff? You're, you're, you're like a, a master of everything. You're like stereo. a Renaissance technology guy. I, I've hooked up a stereo or two in my, in my years. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, these, these new ones, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. In fact, we were, we, t- the issue today ended up being, I think pretty much a single button on the remote that it just took us a while to find. I, I am a so, long while. I am so <laughs> inept. I had to call um, IT services because my plug-in speakers weren't working with my computer at work. It's it's not you know it's <laughs> it's no joke though. It's like it, it a lot of times the solution, as Jay said, is just this one button. But but it takes it's driving crazy. There's so many you know things to uh, guides and things well, to go through. The to other get thing there. that happens those cables go bad. And when the cables go right, bad, yeah. you know, you've got to diagnose that as well. That it may not necessarily mm-hmm. be the hardware. Mm-hmm. I think in my old age, I'm going to just put a sign up in the assisted living, you know, facility elevator that just says something about, you know, too many pictures on your phone. <laughs> Call me Actually, a, you know what? In, I, in apartment 3B. This is interesting. This is an interesting discussion because it's not what we were going to talk about, but I'm going to launch into something that we weren't planning to discuss because it's so apropos to, to what we're saying right now. On yesterday, I had a procedure I had to do at an ambulatory surgery center. Um, It was a prostate biopsy, but it's not a typical prostate biopsy. It's what we call an MRI fusion biopsy. An MRI fusion biopsy. Yes. Notice how I paused so that GB could repeat that. It makes it easier for me to edit that out as well. (laughs) (laughs) No respect. (laughs) I tell you. But yeah, when in historically, when we would do prostate biopsies, um, now this is going to sound a little graphic, but what we would do is uh, what you, you take an ultrasound probe, which is basically shaped like your finger and you put it in the guy's rectum 
and he's lying on his side. And the vast majority of these biopsies would be done in the office awake. So it's like having a rectal exam, except that it's a probe shaped like a finger. And then you, you and get you, a little and slice. You, of and, and what you do is you use this probe to um, get an image of the prostate through the rectal wall. Because remember, the prostate sits in front of the rectum. It's not in the rectum. Some people think urologists are somehow like rectal doctors. We don't know anything about rectums. We just use the rectum to gain access to image the prostate or feel the prostate because it's out. It's, it's in the next compartment. So you use this probe and you look at the prostate and as you're with one hand, you're kind of moving it around and you're looking on a screen on an ultrasound screen and seeing what this gland looks like. And then there's a little needle guide, a little tiny hole in the probe that you can slide this long, I'm going to say, you know, six inch long, eight inch long needle, but only the tip of the needle is actually going to come into contact with the rectal wall because it goes through the probe and then it kind of protrudes out a tiny bit at the end of the probe and you push a button and it makes a little clicking sound. And in that click, it, it a little inner needle shoots out of the outer needle, it's goes a, through the rectal wall into the prostate and it's a takes biopsy. like a hair yeah. of tissue and that's your, and that's your biopsy. And, um, and you usually do 12 samples, wow. six on each side of the prostate in different zones that are predisposed or known to wait, harbor Wait, I have a question. Cells. I'm imagining um, the rectum and it's sort of tubular inside. How do you get to both sides of the prostate through like, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit confused how that works. I'm, I'm imagining like the rectum is like a pipe, right? Yeah. And then I'm imagining the prostate is next to that pipe. In front of the pipe. It's yeah. in front of the pipe. But then how do you get to so two sides? Like so, so is, well, you can, you so turn, is, is you turn the, the probe one like way hooked. and the needle's going into that. That would be the left side. Like if you're, if some think of somebody standing in front of you and you're putting the probe up from behind and you twist your hand to the okay. right and now you're actually aiming right. it towards the left so side to of the, the right prostate. and then you also twist your hand to the left and you're getting okay. the different sides of the prostate okay, okay. just wanted to, to be so clear historically this was but, the but way what the, the yeah. section that the prostate when you're going through the rectum the section that the prostate is leaning on is is what body part what do you mean it's leaning on so 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 the, the you mean resting on no yeah so you have the rectum what's connected to the rectum the hip bone <laughs> <laughs> What's connected to it? Yeah. You know, the, the small intestine. Oh, the, the sigmoid colon, actually. The sig so you're, the so colon. Through, yeah. So you're going the large through, intestine. Yeah. So you're going through the sigmoid colon. No, no, to, I don't go up that far. Okay. The so, so, so then what's the last the, right, six right, inches of your the, colon? So the last six inches. So what that's just called the rectum. Yes. Okay. And at the bottom of the rectum is the anal sphincter. Anal sphincter. Okay, so you're in the rectum, and what's what's in the seventh inch above the, the rectum? rectum? Yeah, the col the sigmoid oh, colon. The sigmoid you don't colon. go that far. With okay, this. got it. Okay. You're only going in about two inches. Okay. Okay, and um, no, but those are good questions because people, it's you take it for granted that people can understand this stuff, and it's not always easy to visualize. Um, and you're right. You're not sampling all of the prostate. You're actually only sampling tissue from the rear rim of the prostate, what we call the peripheral zone, the zone of the prostate that's literally adjacent to the rectum because the prostate, remember you have to think of it three dimensionally and it's the urethra shape. and the urethra goes right through it. Sized. So you're getting all of your, you're sampling tissue on, if you think of that 
you know, again, it's like an apple with the core removed and you got the apple core. You're only getting the back half of the apple, mm. all the front half of the apple you're not sampling, but that half is not known to really be a place where cancer forms in the prostate. And so we don't typically sample That's it. The urethra goes through the prostate? Yeah, yeah. So Right through it like the core of an apple. Yeah. Huh. So why would why would the cancer only occur on the side that's up against the rectum? It's it's that's, that's very just interesting. The, yeah. But it has yeah. I mean again, remember they're completely separate and unrelated compartments. Embryologically they form differently, different blood supplies, they're totally separate uh, organs. So does it have anything to do with, with, with that part of the colon no, touching the prostate? It has to do with the way the the cell types um, embryologically, how the prostate forms. Um, some of the prostate has more regenerative type cells in it than other parts, and the regenerative cell parts are the parts that are more prone oh, to forming cancer. Very interesting. Okay. In any event, um, getting to what I was talking about, so the the newest technique now, because as you can imagine, it's not super accurate. Um, now, what we'll do is, if someone we think they need a biopsy. For in certain situations, not always, but in certain situations, we will say to them, you know, before we do this biopsy, we're going to get an MRI of your prostate. Not because MRI is like 100% accurate for prostate cancer, but sometimes the MRI shows us very specific lesions that we do not see on ultrasound. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or at least Wait, sometimes we I've don't got see. a question. Ultrasound, Wait, by the way, let him, is let, him, let, him let me just something. say one thing. Ultrasound is a very, very inaccurate and poor imaging modality to identify areas of prostate cancer. The reason why ultrasound is valuable is because it just shows us the gland, so we're targeting correctly, but it doesn't show us areas where we suddenly think, oh, that could be cancer. No, it doesn't do that. MRI, yes, except that. MRI has a lot of false negatives. I mean, there's a lot of things you don't see on MRI, and so you don't know if they have cancer or not. So you can't rely on the MRI. Hmm. So here, here's my question. Go ahead. You've been in practice 20 years? Yeah. Right? So you've been out of med school for quite some time. It sounds like the technique you used during your residency was probably this ultrasound, if anything. Where are you learning these new techniques? And what are the requirements for a doctor, sort of like whether you're, you know, an MLE for uh, an attorney or a CPE for an accountant? Um, how, how are you learning these things and what are the requirements? Because as these new techniques come out, it's, you know, it's very important that you want to go to a doctor who's staying abreast of the new developments in whether it be urology or any other medical field? Well, I mean, everybody knows what CME is, continuing medical education. We're all required to complete, you know, many, many units of CME every year, both for hospital accreditation so that we can work at a hospital. They will demand it. Um, the uh, If you want to remain board certified, they will demand it. If you want to maintain your licensing at a state, they will demand it. So you got to prove that. And the way you do that is you take courses. So yes, I take courses all the time. I, ta- I go to lectures. I just signed up for a full weekend review course at UCLA that I'll do in, uh, I think it's in March. And um, it'll you know generate like 25 CME credits for me. And it'll be like a comprehensive review of like the latest uh, technologies and the newest guidelines for various diagnoses and treatments. And then what you do, it's like a multi, you know, it's like a Venn diagram. You got all these different things that you're doing and there's some overlap. 
Um, and um, some of it you talk about with colleagues. Sometimes it's the industries, you know, like maybe the people who came out with the technology I'm talking about, which is MRI fusion biopsies, where they will take these MRI images that have suspicious areas. And it's one thing to look at a screen and see the MRI and then put your probe in and look at your ultrasound screen and somehow in your mind try to say, okay, that area on that prostate is just to the right of the urethra, um, but not quite at the, at the capsule of the prostate in the middle of it. You're trying to three-dimensionally yeah. target that. That's really tough to do. So some software company came out where they can fuse the images together so that you literally will, they will overlap them and they will not only do that, but once you've got your probe in exactly the right position, it will do a virtual biopsy for you. So then you'll look at this screen where the two are overlapping and it'll say, if you take a biopsy in this exact spot, you'll hit the target and it'll show like a virtual needle going right into the target of the MRI image. It's really amazing software. And, um, and that's a fusion biopsy. And so we do those sometimes. So yesterday, this is why this is apropos to our earlier conversation. I was doing one at the surgery center and, um, we were getting ready to, to the patient was on his side and he was anesthetized for this because it's a little more complicated and it takes a longer time and you're kind of doing more manipulation with that probe. And it's kind of harsh for somebody to be awake while you're doing all of that. It's in one your, thing in your office. You, you're able to do this. I am able to do the standard biopsies in my office because you can do them pretty quick. And if you're experienced at it, you're, you're moving the probe very little. Hmm. And so it's not that bad. Although some people might argue that everybody should be asleep, but honestly, 90 percent of biopsies are take but he's place anesthetized, in, so you're in this hospital. case yeah. the guy is anesthetized he's okay. asleep and so he's completely out and um we're um actually I'm, I'm not doing this correctly it was the doctor who was going before me so there was a doctor who was doing a case before my case and he was getting ready to start and i'm i, I happen to be in the operating room watching him and as he's getting ready to target it the system goes out like there was a technical problem and the technician I could see was just like, kind of like you today, Jay, like he was redoing all the cables, troubleshooting his, like everything he possibly could troubleshoot. He could not get the two systems to talk to each mm -hmm. other, the MRI system and the ultrasound system. We, you know, they replaced the cables. They did everything. He could not get the two to communicate. A little and, more severe repercussions than the surround sound not working. <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately the doctor before me, you know, the guy was already anesthetized and on the table. So all he could really do was just a standard biopsy. He hmm. could not do the fusion portion where they saw those images. That's, that's a bummer. And, um, and then he'll have to have a conversation with his patient about like whether they want to repeat this biopsy in a few months, uh, perhaps, he's or got to have a sooner. conversation with the manufacturer, of the hardware equipment, and he's got to make sure that it was properly serviced. All those things are true. All those things are true. You know, it's, it's the, it's the, um, pros and cons of the life that we live yeah, right now, which technology. is, you know, it's amazing that the traffic lights are all in sync yes. and that, but and the ATMs are in every corner and then something goes down and, you know, there's a whole thing. And we're going to talk about electronic medical records on a future show. And it sort of dovetails into that, but the, um, electronic ter terrorism is a real thing. Yep. And there's a lot of conversations that I'm, you know, none of us are aware of, but I know they're happening around what we are doing to protect ourselves 
Because if someone is able to infiltrate our networks, um, hospitals being one of the most precarious, but our banking and uh, our flights and our transportation, yeah. our trains, it's a... You know, it's a big deal. It's a complicated world, and sometimes rebooting the system, you don't have the luxury of yeah. doing that when you've I, got trains I, running. I saw one time on TV they were trying to kill somebody by hacking into the guy's pacemaker. Hmm. Yeah. Be, be, because the pacemaker is able to communicate. Oh, with like the phone? Wirelessly. Yeah. Right. Well, so you're able to hack into it. And crazy. even if it's not someone hacking, certainly it's just vulnerable to, to errors, right? I mean, just to any... Like I said, you know, you have to. So everyone has to reboot their yeah. phone or computer. If you have to reboot your pacemaker, that's no. But you're problem. right. I've I actually GB. I've heard on some programs about you know how doctors now have the capability to link up with like infusion pumps for insulin, all kinds of things that oh, their yeah. patients have, and um, and it's not clear what. I mean, you know, the technology is amazing, but it's it's unclear what kind yeah. of security protocols have been. You, put in place. You end up with bad Wi-Fi, and he's upping the insulin levels, yeah. and suddenly the phone yeah. stops. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's, it's, not it's a ter- terrible, well, but not not a good, not a good thing. thing. You you've got to think about what the fail saves are yeah. on on something like this, especially in an industry that's fueled by uh, by investment and revenue growth, yeah. and yeah. and pushing things out mm. to market to uh, to. To capture yeah. those consumer monies. Well, think about remote robotic surgery. What if you're in the middle of that? And there's something goes wrong. Yeah, so. yeah. No, it's true. These are all major issues, the major concerns. In my case, I ended up going forward with my procedure because my guy, this who was going to follow the first guy. By the way, we did try to just unplug and turn off the machine and turn it back on. <laughs> well, the, it didn't work. Like you know, a photocopier. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, the immediate, the, the immediate visual the that came, jam. the immediate visual <laughs> that came to mind on. was uh, was the, in the movie Airport, yeah. where, the, where the guy was unplugged. Airplane, unpl- oh, airplane yeah. was unplugged. Just kidding. Pl- yeah, just kidding. Was <laughs> just un- kidding. unplugging yeah, all the, the lights, the, the, lights the runway on lights, the runway, and everybody's freaking out yeah. that the runway went and dark, and he's holding the plug. He's like, ah, just kidding. And he plugs it back in. That was awesome. Anyway, um, in my case, the I looked at the MRI imaging with the technician, and we were looking at it together. And my patient had an unusual um, finding on the MRI, which is going to contradict what I said earlier. Remember, I said you we don't typically take biopsies from that zone in front of the urethra. It turned out that the MRI showed a huge area in the zone in front of the urethra that looked suspicious. And it was really, to me, very um, sort of telling because this guy had had two prior biopsies in the last three years. I'm sorry, I'm confused. I thought the machine wasn't working, This the, the, the you fusion. Could see, you could see the images on one screen, the MRI images. But you can't, it wasn't overlapping. overlap them. Right, okay. right. So if it was a tiny little, tiny little spot, like a something the size of the tip of a big pen inside a gland that was like the size of a small orange, it's going to be pretty hard to spear a needle into that thing when all you have to go by is a two-dimensional image. Right. And, but did you get it? Uh, we'll see. I mean, that, that, that wasn't my situation. That was the surgeon before me, the, the urologist before me had a little kind of tiny, tiny area he was trying to target. Got there was no way he was uh, going to But your area was so My big. My area was area, huge. Got it. And it was all the area in front of the urethra. So I said, look, I can't miss. If I take four or five biopsies in this zone in front of the urethra, yeah, I'm going to get those you're gonna spots. You're going to get it. 
So I went for it. How do they clean these instruments? Remember, there was that whole yeah, big thing yeah, with, no, with that comes up, right? Because you have that, you know, that terrible. Mm-hmm. What is it? The what virus is it? The MRSA virus or whatever bacteria? Yeah, people were getting infected. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was the yeah. colonoscopy things. Or so as much as possible, they're disposable. So obviously, like those needles that go through there, those are all disposable. And what if they go into a landfill? That's a good question. I think that the um, well, hospitals have so much hazardous waste. Yeah. That, they, that they produce, and then it gets disposed of more. I, I, I don't know, but I think some of it gets, um, you know, what do you call it? Burned, um, yeah. incinerated. incinerated. Some of it gets incinerated, but then there's, of course, the risk of what that does to the environment. Yeah, because yeah, I was so thinking about like all the hypodermic yeah. needles. What do you do with all that? Yeah. Oh, it's it's yeah. so hospitals it's a huge problem. So enormous waste. waste. Enormous waste. Yeah. It's awful. And, you know, and then, of course, if you say, stop doing this, use reusable stuff, then yeah. somebody gets an infection right. and then you say that's not OK either. Mm. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So switching gears for, yeah. for this, um, the you had discussed last episode about a kidney procedure that you had. Yeah. Done. And um, we ran out of time and I just want to double back. And, sure. And because it seemed like something that was. There was another case where th- that case was a really big kind of a Nerf football sized tumor in the kidney. So we took out the entire kidney. It was a huge tumor. Hmm. But then the second case was a smaller tumor, something more akin to maybe the size of an apricot in the lower half of the kidney. So that if you if you chopped off the lower half of the kidney, you could you could uh, salvage the upper, the upper half of the kidney, which is always worthwhile if you can do it. And that's called a partial nephrectomy, partial nephrectomy as opposed to you know, a complete or radical nephrectomy. And they're, chal- they're much more challenging, believe it or not, than taking out the big giant kidney well, tumor. And let me, let me bleed. ask, well, that's just educate us that, that haven't done this before. Um, a kidney is not something that you are then sewing it up like this part that you're cutting off because the whole thing is a, the whole organ is its own entity, for lack of a better word. You so let me rephrase. If you cut it, what, if you what, cut am, into it. what am I looking at at that point? Right. So you think of it as that bean. You've got the bean. Yeah. Just picture yourself a bean and you're cutting off the lower half of the bean. Right. And then you're flipping it up and looking at that cut surface. So the center of that cut surface is the compartment where urine is collecting and that can, and therefore now that you've sliced off that lower half, you can cause a leakage of urine. Urine can leak into the body. So you have to, clo- you have to sew that, so those sewing, compartments so, up. So there's a cavity. Small, Small. cavity, not very like, tiny. Not like the stomach or the or lungs. No, these are teeny cavities, but okay. you have to sew them up, okay. yes. And then there are blood vessels Maybe one or two of them you can actually see. They're like two millimeters in diameter, and you can try to cauterize them. Cauterize. Usually, you have to sew them up. You put you put mm. stitches into them, and you stop them. But then there's thousands of smaller vessels that you can't really see. All you see is just cut surface bleeding like crazy. That's what I was picturing. That's what you're seeing. You're mostly just seeing cut surface. This cut surface is just diffusely bleeding like crazy. So how do you stop it? In the old in, in the old days, when I was training, we would do these open. We would open the, the guy would you know you'd have a big incision and you'd have your hand around the kidney, so you would squeeze it, and if you squeezed the kidney, you would stop the bleeding. So you just got to leave your hand there forever. Now, so you'd squeeze the kidney and stop the bleeding, while with your other hand you would throw some stitches into the tissue. 
you know, round and around and around and around. And then you would let go. It would be bleeding and you would gently tie them down. If you tie too tightly, they would just rip out. Yeah. Oof. So you would have to tie them very gently. There was all kinds of techniques to prevent them from ripping out. Um, now, of course, we do this all much less invasively. We don't make a big incision. And this is where we can do them laparoscopically. But now the best approach is using robotics. And so what you do is going in from where you make little port incisions, just like you would like okay. a laparoscopic procedure. Okay. You've got your camera port and you've got your two instrument ports. And oh, I see. You, the surgeon, are sitting at the, the robot console and you're operating those instruments from the console and you put those stitches in just like I said before. But in order to prevent the bleeding to go crazy, you put a clamp on the artery. Now, there are different techniques. Some people do it where they don't put the clamp on the artery and you lose a lot more blood. In this case, we decided to put the clamp on the artery. Which is kind of what you did in the other procedure, right? Yeah, except that was permanent. Pre. That was permanent. In oh. other words, those were internal coils that went inside the vessels and permanently stopped blood flow to the kidney. That was in the big operation where we took out the entire kidney. Because you took it all out. Yeah. In this case, it was just a temporary, it's called a bulldog clamp. And it's just a very a clamp that when you release it, it grabs onto the artery, but doesn't damage it. It just squeezes it. And then when you're done, you, 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 uh, you press on the back of it and it opens up and you can really pull it off the clamp. Mm. So it's like a, it's just a, it's a clamp that it's maybe an inch long and you put that on the artery going to the kidney and then stops the blood going to the kidney. And now you can cut the kidney, sew up the kidney. And when you're done, you release that bulldog. And if there's any persistent bleeding, you sew up some more. So that it's still done in a similar way, but yep. now it's robotic. Yeah. Can I ask you about the robotic part? Is the, are the controls that you're talking about, how much are they able to emulate what you're used to with your hands? And Incredibly well. That's okay. what's so amazing. About yeah, because otherwise you'd be learning a whole it's new... It's literally like virtual reality. You're moving these things and what you're doing with your hands. You go like this and you just, you watch inside of the screen and these two things are... Our listeners are, are really uh, <laughs> yes, sorry. hearing what your hands <laughs> yeah. are doing. Yeah, I'm making a motion with my fingers of like I'm tying a knot. And when you look on the TV screen at the real instruments inside the body, they are making the exact same motion. So are you exactly. wearing, you're in gloves? If I, pitch, if I pinch my fingers, those instruments are going like this. No, I'm not wearing gloves. I'm sitting unscrubbed next to the patient at a console with no sterile stuff on me. I'm just using, and, and this machine that I'm sitting, it's like a video game. Yeah. You're sitting down. What are you're your looking through these to? eyes. There, two, there are four little rings. Oh, One, okay. To think of and, and and those four little rings, two my index finger on my right hand and my thumb on my right hand and my index finger on my left hand and my thumb on my left hand, and they go into those rings. And when I pinch my fingers together, the two instruments inside pinch together. And when I twist my hands, the two instruments twist. Mm -hmm. And when I move my arm in a circle, and like mm -hmm. this, those instruments move in circles. So they basically replicate exactly what I'm doing. So you found the adjustment not to be that difficult. Uh, it takes some training, but yeah, no, it was quick. Most people. Th this quick. reminds me of this uplifting news article that producer Jay sent me from Reddit about humans <laughs> wearing teledildonic suits that can now have sex with others over the internet. It's probably a similar type of technology. I missed, I missed that one, JB. But thanks for the heads up. No, here, here, here's the item that you sent me right here. Yeah, I'm not a big Reddit guy. Every now and then, but thanks for the credit. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Well, that's uh, that's 
It sounds kind of crazy to me, but that's a um, that's an interesting day. Uh, which still... which doctor is the doctor story or my story? No, or no. both. I've dispensed with yours pretty quickly. <laughs> the squeezing of the kidneys is remarkable to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, All right. right, guys. Well, thank you. Thanks. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.